Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. We're in this series called Supporting Cast, and we're looking at different characters in the Bible that maybe we wouldn't have normally spent time with. And hopefully as we're going, you're going to see that these are ordinary people who have an extraordinary God. He is an incredible, he is an incredible God. He has his character and what he can do is, is, is amazing. But we get to see that through the lenses of these individual characters. I want to put an idea as we dive in today. I want to put an idea before you. It's a biblical idea and it runs through the scriptures. And it's this. Doing good leads to good. Doing bad leads to bad. Right? Like you can imagine that, right? If we do good things, it's supposed to bring about good results. And vice versa. If we do bad things, like it's going to make things go bad for us, right? Evil things are, are, are things we, we don't want to do. It's going to result in evil for us. So you can imagine that, right? Like, yeah, that, that seems true. That's actually a biblical idea. It is embedded in the way that God has designed the world. Everything functions kind of with this idea. Now, if you start to think about it, it's like, okay, yeah, is, is, that, is that true? Does that always play out? Well, that's what we want to look at today. So, but to get the idea on here, like I want to throw you a, a proverb out before you. Again, wisdom literature, God has built the world a certain way, living wisely fits within this. So uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verses 35 and 36, read like this. For those who find me, this is wisdom as personified. Those who find wisdom, find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me, find wisdom, harm themselves. All who hate me love death. You can see this idea playing out. Like good things, if we pursue good things, we're, we're going to have life. We're going to have good things. But if we pursue bad things, evil things, it's going to go poorly for us. That's embedded in the scriptures. So my boys, um, they're, they're at the ages where they're starting to learn, you know, like what does it look like to, to obey mommy and daddy and like, you know, do the things that we ask. But they're, they're strong-willed enough and they're getting to the place where they can make choices now, right? They're, you know, little kids, they kind of just go along with things. Sometimes they, they're no, but they don't really know what they're saying. But now my kids are old enough where they're actually able to like make conscious choices, and so, like, these different moments that come a long way, like, I don't know, I, I wouldn't do that. And they make a choice. Ah, do I want to do that? And a lot of times they do, but sometimes they don't. And, and, you know, you get some of these severe examples, like, don't touch a hot stove. If someone does, you know, it's like, oh, okay, they get an immediate, like, consequence, like, okay, that's, that's harmful, I need to listen. But then other times, like, maybe not right away. So you can imagine, just with kids, they're learning how to obey, learning to do right and wrong. They're learning this idea. They're learning that if I do good things, then it's going to have good results. If I do evil things or wrong things, it's going to have bad results. This is embedded into the world. There's a story in the scriptures that illustrate this, but also push back against it. Because as you probably were thinking, like, okay, yeah, that's generally true. But it's not always true. A man at work, working on a project, 
Someone says, hey, hey, I, can, can you help me with this? Like, I, I need some help. Sure, sure, sure. Like, let's collaborate. Let's work on it together. We'll, we'll, we'll do it together. Great. Get to the end. The other guy takes all the credit. Oh, good job, Bob. You did great. Like, wait, wait what about me? Bob gets all the credit. He gets the promotion. Like, how is that fair? Those kinds of things happen, right? Is this really true that if we do good things, it has good results? Are there times when that's not true? We're going to look at the story of Abigail. Abigail uh, has a, a, there's a story of Abigail in the scriptures where it kind of plays with this idea like, is this really wisdom? Is this really how the world works? So we're going to study and see what God has to say through this individual. She is an incredible example. I'm excited to open up the scriptures to talk about Abigail today. So I invite you, if you would, to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel 25, we're going to look at the story of Abigail. Now, um, there's a lot of, of text that we're going to read, so I'm actually not going to put it on the screen. So if normally you're used to just kind of looking at it, it's not going to be up there. There's, it's a long chapter. I want to read all of it eventually. We're going to take it in chunks, but I want you to follow along in the story. So if you have a Bible, please pull it out. If you want to pull it out on your phone, that's great too. But if you want to listen, that's great. Just know that the screen won't have the words on it. But we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. And I want to throw this question back on the table. Does doing good actually lead to good? We're going to see that play out in this chapter. little context, this is in the time of David. So King David, he, um, he's already slayed Goliath. He's, he's, he's made a difference in, in the kingdom. And he has been declared the king. The other king, King Saul, is not happy about that. And he's chasing David. He wants to kill him. He wants to remove him from the equation. So David is on the run. And he's been on the run for a long time. Years of this. So he's got a bunch of soldiers who are with him. And they're moving from place to place. And so that's the context which we find this story. So beginning at verse 1 in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. Now Samuel died. He was the prophet, the leader of Israel. He died. And all of Israel assembled and mourned for him. They buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down to the desert of Paran. A certain man in Moan, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goat and three thousand sheep, in which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. Now, pause real quick. So we get the introduction of our characters, Abigail and Nabal. Nabal, he is wealthy. He's got flocks everywhere. And right now, they're shearing. Now, this is a time where, like, okay, this is, we're taking the benefits of, of our labor, and they're going to they're gonna feast, and they're going to enjoy, and they're going to they're gonna receive their profits. So he's described as wealthy. But he's also described as surly and mean. Now, the, the, the words in Hebrew probably translate hard and evil. The word ra in Hebrew means bad or evil. So it's not just that he's mean, as the NIV might say. Like, he's kind of described as bad or evil. That's what's going on here. But Abigail, she's described as intelligent and beautiful. And that word intelligent 
literally in the Hebrew, is good judgment or good sense. It's the same word that you find in the Proverbs as a synonym for wisdom. So when we hear like she's, she's intelligent, she has good sense or discerning, maybe is one of your translations, she is wise. She is wise. Notice the contrast between these two characters. So as you're feeling the story, you're like, okay, what's going to happen? Like you sense it, it's coming. There's contrast between these two characters. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all those who are yours. Now I hear that is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. The whole time we were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable to my men. Since we came at a festive time, please give to your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Pause again. So what happens is that David, he's moving around in different places and he's camped out at this place where Nabal's sheep were. Now the shepherds are out there, they're tending the flocks. And so what David's company does is they protect them. All these wild animals that exist out there, they kind of defend them. If there's marauders or raiders, people that want to come steal the flocks, they're protecting them. And they just kind of do this. Now, you know, you could read this like, okay, is David in this for something? Or is he doing it out of the goodness of it? We're not sure. But I think we're to trust that like David, he's doing good. And we see that come in the text in a little bit. But David is saying like, hey, we've protected you. Can you compensate us with some food and supplies? Like we're out here on our own. Like this is really hard. Saul's chasing us. Can you help take care of us? Would you do that? And what David is doing right here is he's almost saying like, hey, can we do a little formal treaty thing here? Like he's intentionally saying, hey, Nabal, let's help each other out. That's what he's asking. Back to verse 9. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Right here we see the character of Nabal. I'm not going to help you. Why would I do that? You have earned nothing from me. Go away. Who is Jesse? Who is this son of David? Or excuse me, who is this David, the son of Jesse? Like, why would I help you? Right here, you just feel it, right? Like, oh no, what's going to happen? Now, this, this is Nabal's character. I want to come back to our idea. Good leading to good. Here we see it doesn't always, right? Right? Like we do good things. David did a good thing. Like, hey, we're going to take care of your, your, your sheep and your flocks and, and, and we're going to protect you. We're going to provide for you. We did a good thing. So should good, good come back to us? Like, yeah, right? Like that should be part of this. What does Nabal do? He returns that good with evil. Why would I help you? Insults. And he's just throwing them under the bus and like, that's it. Have you experienced this? 
Have you experienced this idea that sometimes good actually leads to evil? Have there been moments in your life where you feel like, hey, I did a good thing and then that's what I get? Like things don't always work out like that, right? Can you imagine moments where you've experienced that good didn't lead to good, that good led to evil? Have you been taken advantage of? Have you been that guy at work where it's like, hey, I'm contributing and then I don't get any credit? I get passed over for a promotion. Or really, like you, you give so much of yourself to your family, to, to your friends, and it's like nobody comes back around to you. Maybe you're from a dysfunctional family. You're always taking care of others, and they're not, they're not being healthy back towards you. Are these moments in, their, in your life where you're just like, I did the good thing, and look what it got me. Right here, that's what's happening with David. He did a good thing. He helped Nabal out. He protected his flocks. And this, this is what he gets back. So maybe this idea, good leading to good, bad leading to bad, maybe it's not true. Like, are we, are we really seeing this play out, especially in this story? Should we, should we live differently then? Should we operate with a different idea like, should we carry ourselves in, in a different kind of way? Our, our temptation is probably to abandon this, right? Like, why do good? If it's just going to lead to evil, why do good? It's actually what David thinks. Let's see what happens in the next scene. And here's the idea that I want to kind of put as we follow along here. Returning evil for good leads to evil. See this play out. Verse 12. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. And so they did. And David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. Imagine like this is a huge group of people coming. 400 men ready to fight. Jump down now to verse 21. Here's what David's thinking as he's going. David had just said, it has been useless. All of my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He paid me back evil for good. David says it right there. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. David has resolved, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill his family. I'm going to kill his servants like I'm going after them. Why did I do all this? This is David's response. He's been treated poorly. Nabal said like, who is this son of Jesse? Like, why would I do anything for him? What does that stir in David? Fine, let's go kill him. Let's go respond in kind. We're going to take vengeance on what he has done to us. Disaster is coming. Disaster is coming. And so when someone harms another, that other person tends to respond in kind. So if we return evil for good, if someone does something good for us and we give evil back to that, 
what happens is it produces more evil. That's what's stirred up inside of David right here. That's what he's looking at. He's like, fine, I'll give it back to him. And notice even the escalation. Like Nabal kind of insults him verbally. It's like, who is this guy? He doesn't warn anything and he withholds. But here David's going to go kill him. He's going to kill his family. Like he's taken up his whole company. He's going to slaughter them. That is what evil produces. When When we return evil for good, evil results. That's what's taking place here. But let's keep reading because there's one more element in the scene that we need to look at. So back down to verse 14. One of Nabal's servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give us our master his greetings. But he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us the whole time we were handling or herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. This is Nabal's own servant. He's come to Abigail and says like, here's what's coming. What can you do? Because Nabal... He is is messing this up. And so we see right here, this is what happens. When we give evil for good, evil results. This is what David is going to do. He's going to come. He's going to destroy everyone. Have you seen this? Have you seen evil leading to more evil? You can probably picture it. Come back to kids. Like one kid hits another. What's that other kid going to do? He's going to hit him back. Like, that's just our reaction. We just default to that. Like, we're going to respond in kind or make it worse. You take my toy, I'm going to take yours. Like, this is human nature. We do this, don't we? And it doesn't really change as we get to adulthood, right? Like, we just get more sophisticated at it. You know, it's like, okay, you just hit me. Well, now as adults, we're like, fine, I'm going to like passive-aggressively sneak behind your back. And we just get more creative on how we do this stuff. That's what happens. When someone gives us something good and we repay it with evil, it stirs the pot like this. Evil is going to result. So, is there an alternative to this? Like so far we're seeing the biblical idea that good leads to good, not so much, right? Like is that how this truly plays out? It's going to just fall apart, cascade down? Or is there an alternative Is there a way to avoid evil, bad, destruction? Enter Abigail. Abigail returns good for evil. That's what she's going to do. So follow along. Verse 18. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. 
David had just said, it's been useless, my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she got off her donkey quickly and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. She's describing her husband this way. He is just like his name. His name means fool. That's what his name means. Fool. And he's living that out. And folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord had sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. Let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles. And no wrongdoing will ever be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound up securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies will hurl away as, as the pocket of a sling when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he has promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have his conscience, the staggering, on his conscience, the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. And the Lord your God has brought my Lord success. Remember me, your servant. So pause there. There was a lot. But basically what we see is that Abigail... She loads up all this food and she takes to David and his men what they asked for. And as she arrives, she goes to meet them. What does she do? She stops, she gets off her donkey and she bows down. And she says, would you please hear me out? What Abigail is doing is she's de-escalating the situation. She's slowing things down and she takes on a humble posture. And what I want to do is I want to highlight a few of the things. So I'm going to kind of throw up on the screen, Abigail, what she does, her actions. And so what she does is she's humble. She gets on her knees and and says, David, I'm your servant. Would you please hear me out? And, And what Nabal has done, like, please forgive me for that. Please, please take that on my shoulders. Like put that and, and forgive me. She's humble and she takes on that kind of posture and she de-escalates the situation. And then the language that she speaks, she's she's speaking that of a peacemaker. Like she's slowing down. She's like, okay, don't, don't, no, no, don't take his blood. Don't take his life. Don't, don't kill everybody. Like don't put this bloodshed on your hands. And she's saying all this in the context of his kingship. You probably caught some of that language, like the Lord is going to make you king. You don't want that on your conscience. 
you don't want to be the kind of king who leads like that. Now, pause on that for just a second. What's happening here is that David, he has been declared king. He's been anointed by Samuel. You are to be king of Israel. Saul, the, the current king, has been rejected by God, but he is not happy about all of this. And so he's pursuing David, and he's coming after him. And David, along the way, is learning, how do I be the kind of king that God wants me to be? That is the question in this wilderness journey for David. Right before our story today, in chapter 24, is a story where Saul catches up to David. He doesn't know it, but they're close. And so Saul, he goes into a cave to go to the bathroom. David's in the cave. And he sneaks up behind him. And right there, what David could have done is he could have ended it all. He could have just taken Saul's life and said, that's it, I finally got him. No more pursuit. I can go be king. I can sit on the throne and everything is good. But David, he doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he sneaks up, he cuts off a little corner of his robe and then wanders back. And as soon as Saul is back with his camp, he comes out of the camp and says, look what I just did. I could have killed you, but I didn't because I want to be that kind of king. And he's honoring the Lord by doing that. Right here is another temptation. It's another opportunity for David to make a choice. Is he going to do what he just did with Saul and not kill him? Or is he going to take matters into his own hands? Take vengeance into his own hands? Right now, David is walking down a path that will not be good. It will not lead to the kind of kingship that he's supposed to have. This is a test for David. And Abigail is the one who steps in and says, let me remind you of the path. Remember how she was described as wise? Good judgment, good sense, discerning. She's stepping in and reminding David of the path that he is on. You are walking a certain path. You're walking down this road to kingship that God wants for you. Are you going to stay on that path? Or are you going to choose vengeance? Take matters into your own hands and reject the Lord's way. That is what she is doing right here. Abigail is stepping in as the voice of wisdom for David. And she does it out of humility, out of submission, out of gentleness, out of David. Like, please listen to me. She de-escalates, brings things down. I want to remind you of what God wants you to do. Don't put his blood on your hands. That is not God's way. This is what Abigail is doing. She is bringing about good in the face of evil. Have you seen someone do this? Have you seen someone step into a situation where it's like, oh, this is getting messy, this is getting bad, and they bring the calming presence, they bring wisdom, they de-escalate, they're a peacemaker, and they set the course right. Have you seen that play out? 
Have you seen moments like this in your own life? Maybe you've done it yourself. Where you consciously choose to do good in the face of evil. What happens? What happens in moments like this? What does David do? How does David respond? What what does he do hearing Abigail? Here's the idea that I want you to see in the next scene. Even and evil, doing good leads to good. Doing good leads to good. So pick up the story. Verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you here today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment, for your wisdom, and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord lives, the God of Israel, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him, And said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Right here, Abigail turns the ship. Instead of it heading towards destruction and evil and brokenness and wrong, she brings good and turns the path. David responds, praise the Lord. Thank you for correcting me. You've put me back on the right path. That is what Abigail does. Her giving good to evil produces good. Now, you might be wondering like, okay, but how does this really end? Like what's really going to happen here? Because Nabal, look what he did. Sure, Abigail gave all this stuff, but like he doesn't know about this yet. What's going to happen? Let's keep reading. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. That's an intentional reference. Remember what happens right before is Saul shows up? Okay, Nabal and Saul, there's a parallel here. He was in high spirits and very drunk. And so she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all of these things. And his heart failed him. And he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal And he died. This is the end. This is the end result. Nabal, he's like a king. He's in high spirits. He's enjoying everything. She's like, okay, I'll just wait till morning. Wise discernment right there. And so what she does is when he's he's sober, he's kind of back to his senses, she tells him all that he did. All that she did. And what happened because of her, her stepping in. And Nabal says his heart failed him. Now, some commentators, like, did he have a heart attack or maybe a stroke or whatever? Because, you know, maybe that's physically what's happening. We're not sure. But what happens is, like, he comes to that realization moment. And then 10 days later, he dies. The Lord takes his life. Now, we might hear that as, like, ooh, that's pretty severe. Now, in this day, though, this was, this was a kind of a common thing or, or life was viewed very, very differently. And remember, the context of our story is playing out this idea of wisdom. Good leads to good. Evil leads to evil. We're seeing that in the life of Nabal. 
And what happens is he dies. And he's a parallel for Saul. Remember, the story is so far that Saul is pursuing David. Is Saul going to get him? Is Saul going to win? How is this all going to play out? God is stepping in to give a little foreshadowing to say, I will bring justice. I will make things right. Those who do wrong will face consequences. But that's for me to give, not you. That's what he's saying to David. It is not in your hands to take vengeance. You should not take all of this on yourself. This is something for me to do. God is a God of justice. He will do what is right and good. And he will bring consequences on those who need consequences. That is what happens to Nabal. But let's keep reading. What happens to Abigail? When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my case against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. There it is. There's God's justice. Then God sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. We're kind of, now we might think like, what? Like he's taken this guy's wife? Like that's kind of a, a you know, a, a stinky move, David. Like what, what's that all about? There's this concept called the kinsman redeemer. Maybe you've heard of that in the Bible before. Basically, what someone does is when a, a male dies and, and hasn't given any children or hasn't produced an heir, he, his wife, his spouse, is left. And she, she can face desolation and poverty because property goes through the male. And so right here is a very vulnerable spot for Abigail. The practice is that you turn to a family member who can take care of her, help produce an heir to pass on the family line. Essentially, what David is doing, he's he's stepping into that role. You might have caught this earlier, but it described uh, Nabal as a Calebite from the tribe or clan of, of, of the clan of Caleb, which is in the tribe of Judah. And that is the tribe that David is from. He is stepping into the role as a family member to take care of Abigail. Now, it benefits David greatly because Nabal is very wealthy and he gets to reap the benefits of that. But he's stepping in to say, Abigail, I don't want you to be left out. So come be my wife. I'll take care of you. That is the role that David is playing right here. His servants went down to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I'm your servant. I am ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Here's her humility, even coming down like, I will wash their feet. She's putting herself in the lowest possible position. Abigail quickly got on a donkey, attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David also had married Ananiam of Jezreel, and both were his wives. But Saul had given his daughter Michal, daughter David's wife, to Patel, the son of Lashish, who was in Gilead. So here, like David's marriages are all kind of played out. It's for the future. But basically what's happening is that Abigail, she becomes his wife, and he's taking care of her. Good comes from good. Sometimes it doesn't always feel like it. Sometimes it feels like evil's winning, but God is showing us right here that his pattern, his design, good leading to good, 
prevails. And there's one other place that's really important to see this. I want to go back up to verse 24. Verse 24 in the ESV reads a little differently than than it does in the NIV. In the ESV, it says, the guilt be on me. This is Abigail speaking to David. Instead of pardon your servant, guilt be on me. She acts as a substitute. Nabal's the one who's done wrong, but what Abigail does, she's the good one in this story. She steps in and says, I'll take it on my shoulders. Guilt be on me. Put blame on me. Abigail points to Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene. He is the wise one. He's the discerning one. He's the blameless one. He has done all good. And he steps up and says, put the guilt on me. I will be your substitute. I will take sin and brokenness and death and put it on my shoulders. And I will bring good in the face of evil. This is what Jesus does. Jesus is playing the role of Abigail in this story. Abigail is playing the role of Jesus by being a substitute. Even when there's evil, even when things are going wrong, bringing good leads to good. This is what Jesus shows us. We were in the deepest of deep Evil that just we could not do anything about. We are in brokenness and bad. And Jesus steps in and says, I'm going to bring good. This is what Jesus does. He brings good when there isn't. And he fulfills this biblical pattern, this design that God had built into creation, that good leads to good. When good is brought in, good will result. This is what Jesus has done. So for you, in your life right now, if you feel these moments where it's like, man, I feel like if I do the right thing, it's still not going to work out for me. It's still not going to play out the way that I want it to. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experience evil. The big idea that God wants you to walk out with today is that even in evil, good leads to good. He's going to make sure that that is true. He did that with Nabal. He brought justice where there needed to be justice. He does that in Jesus. Jesus secured the victory. Nothing can change that. If we turn to him, we will have life, not death. It may not feel like it right now. We may be in that moment that David's coming down the hill, living in this kind of tension Jesus is the Abigail who steps in and says, no, 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 I'm going to bring good. Even in evil, good leads to good. So, takeaways for today. What do we do with this? I think the biggest takeaway is this. Commit to doing good even when it's hard. Commit to doing good even when it's hard. Commit to the right thing even though it feels like, man, this isn't going to work out for me. It may not right now. You may not see the fruit of it. You may lose out on the promotion. In the end, good leads to good. God will bring that about. That doesn't mean you'll get the promotion in, in a couple of years. That doesn't, that's not the promise. The promise is that it's going to work out the way that it's supposed to, and it will be good 
for you. So commit to that, even when it's hard. So what does this look like? How do we commit to this? I have a few suggestions, things that kind of help feel this, but like if you're committed to the idea, here's a few ways that you can kind of live this out. So number one, how to commit to good, listen to voices of wisdom. Abigail steps in and she's a voice of wisdom for David. Hey, hey, listen to me. Let me remind you about what God is doing here. Listen to those voices. Know who those people are in your life. Know who you can turn to and they're going to provide you a wise, discerning voice. And if you don't have those folks in your life, pray, Lord, help me to see who they can be and begin to look for them. Open your eyes. Who can be a voice of wisdom for you? And let them in. Surround yourself with them. Listen to these wise voices. That's number one. Number two, pursue humility and peacemaking. I think so often when we hit these moments where we feel evil coming up against us, when things get hard, we want to power up too. We want to stand up and we want to push back. Abigail went down. She humbled herself and she was a peacemaker. She de-escalated things. This is the way forward. When evil comes up, it wants to power up, it wants to push, it wants to rev up. We take away its power when we come in humility, when we come in gentleness, when we come in calmness. Humility and peacemaking. Pursue these. That's what we do in the face of evil. That's number two. Number three, don't take revenge. Where you feel that well up, you want to take things into your own hands, release. Don't take revenge. Don't respond in kind, but release. That is what David does. Instead of taking revenge, instead of acting on his plan and and taking matters into his own hands, he turns back to the way of the Lord and he releases. He surrenders He doesn't take revenge. This is our posture. This is our role in life. We entrust outcomes, results, and justice to God. We don't manufacture it. We don't make it happen on our own. This is what it looks like for us to do good, to commit to good even when it's hard. But bottom line for today, here's the idea. Even in evil, good leads to good. It is true. Even if it doesn't feel like it, even if we don't see it all the time, good leads to good. Commit to that. Be a person of peace and humility. Be a person who de-escalates because that is what Jesus has done for you. He empowers us to live that. When we operate his way, we can be like him. And we can bring good to good.